0: Hello and welcome to Against the Law, the ancient history podcast that aims to separate fact from fiction. You've joined us for the second episode of our Sex Money Power Trilogy. Oh yes, while we're all feeling the pinch of the cause he lives, that's the cost of living crisis if you're not hip and cool like I am, we're delving into the ancient world of dosh, moolah, wonga, bread, dollar, money. So, putting her money where her mouth is, Sonia's here to tell us all about the ancient Romans – Meg is here to share all she knows about the ancient Greeks, and you can take that to the bank. Barney's here to balance the books on the ancient Near East. I'm Flo, and normally I find this learning business quite taxing, unless I'm with the Against the Law team. So I hope I can bribe you, dear listener, to learn with me today. What a great fortune it is for me to be joined by these ancient uh, history buffs. Uh, We're going to be talking about money today. Now, I want to discuss with you, if I may, and Barney, I have a feeling that this is going to come over to you, the origins of money. Tell me about money. What was the earliest money? Was it credit cards?
1: Yes, the ancient the ancient credit card recently discovered uh, in an excavation in Iraq has has blown our conceptions of ancient currency out of the water. <laughs>
2: um,
1: no, so money, yeah. Um, I think when we think of money today, we think of cash and currency, probably, Uh, Not necessarily immediately going to the abstract sense. Um, And in terms of coinage, uh, that's not a thing in Mesopotamia for a very long time. Um, So earlier economies uh, had to reckon the relative value of objects, uh, either through like an intermediary commodity like silver or barley. Um, or by just directly trading things for one another, which you might call a barter economy. Um, so yeah, we can say that the earliest monies were basically commodities, um, things that were valuable and useful to everybody that could be used to um, exchange and buy other goods and services.
0: So you wouldn't always have had a jangling purse of coins then in the, in the ancient world?
1: Uh, no, probably not. But you might have had a jangling purse of measured weights of silver, or something like that, or your temple city-state might have a very big reserve of grain to use uh, for either paying people uh, or exchanging for other things that it needed. Hold up. Yep.
0: Is that where we get the word pound from, because it's the equivalent to a pound of something tradable?
1: I'm almost certain that, (laughs) yeah, the the, the connection between (laughs) weights and the name for denominations of currencies is quite current through a lot of a lot of history. Well actually Israel today has the shekel as its um as its currency, which people might be familiar with the term from the Bible. Um lots of shekels flying around there. And uh shekel is a word that we still use in English today, which is ultimately derived from Akkadian, which is nice. Um it's the 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 root of the word is shekalu, which means to weigh. And so yeah a shekel is just is just a weight. Cool as are a number of the other Mesopotamian sort of denominations that all refer to the, the, the weights.
0: That's really cool. That's really interesting. Okay. Can I talk to you then, Barney, about what might be used as monies or a currency or something that is tradable? What, what could I, if, if I transport myself back to the ancient Near East, how could I buy things?
1: Yeah, so um, I think there's a really good body of texts that we can look at to work out how people were exchanging goods in the ancient Near East. And these are texts from the old Assyrian Karim trading period, where merchants from Assyria, Asher, which is the north of Mesopotamia, uh, would go up to what is now Anatolia and get involved in, in trade there. And basically there were metals coming in from uh, from Anatolia and from further into Central Asia, and they were being traded uh, north and south, down back down to Mesopotamia with textiles and uh, other precious metals and stuff like that. So there's this really good little exchange system going on. And the way that we see people exchanging their goods is via silver.
0: Not gold.
1: Not gold silver in mesopotamia was relatively accessible um so gold was a lot rarer you might use gold as a sort of a high value commodity to pay for things but there just wasn't as much of it around i think um gold was often worth sort of anything from maybe five up to like 15 times the amount that silver was um which suggests that there was you know Less than a fifth of it around.
0: So gold, sort of like an ancient, slightly more reliable Bitcoin. <laughs> maybe,
1: maybe think of it more like uh, you know you very rarely use fifty pound notes.
0: Speak for yourself. I'm always flashing the cash down at <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: If you wanted to to make it rain uh, with the fifties, maybe you would make it rain with gold in in ancient Assyria. But yeah, so the, these texts have lots of, lots of things being purchased, lots of, uh, lots of tin being traded and shipments being, you know, reckoned as being worth like 30 minas of silver. And the mina is related to the shekel. mina is heavier than the shekel, so it's a larger amount. And then above mina, you have talent, um, which I think is familiar from the Bible as well to people. Um, so talents are originally thought of as maybe being the amount that somebody could carry. Sort of comfortable amount that somebody could carry, so maybe like thirty kilograms. So talents quite a lot, um, yeah. And these texts are just they're just full of people buying and trading, and actually loaning each other money as well. So we have um, we have debts in some of these. So somebody might have one mina of silver that they owe to a a partner and that mina of silver might be accruing interest at a rate of one and a half shekels a month or something like that. So, you know, when we're looking at this period, we're not talking about currency in the sense that we have it today. There's no bits of paper that are representing, you know, 20 pounds or anything like that, but all of the same kind of monetary systems that we're used to exist nonetheless just without sort of the pounds and notes that we might think of when when minds go to money today
0: well that's very much where my mind is at so i i kind of want to hear about coins because that's the thing that i most associate with money quite disappointingly as barney has just described the difference (laughs) um can i go to i'm going to go forward a bit in time i'm going to go to the ancient greeks meg coins in ancient greece that is that the is that the widely accepted currency
3: coinage yes yes indeed they have many many coins um coins are a big deal so this is again i think need to um distinguish between different time periods so the we get um coins i think the earliest ones that we found are from about the 7th century BC in ancient greece so the kind of um pre bronze age collapse civilizations like mycenae were pre coin you know, like pre monetary very much similar to what Barney was describing about trade so you you trade goods and services directly rather than paying for them with a separate um currency um but yeah loads of coins big time coins uh same names as some of barney's ones so you get minas and talents in greece as well um you get chalcoi which are little, little tiny ones obols um a drachma drachma is a kind of pretty standard coin and then you get different denominations of all of those so you can get like a two drachma piece and a four drachma piece um tetradrachum what's a, a four drachma piece so yeah loads of coins and some tiny ones as well which are really interesting like less than a gram of whatever the metal is And you're like how are you carrying these around
0: They're easy to lose as well i should imagine
3: yeah absolutely i don't know what they must have had some really sort of foolproof um purses and wallets um and the value of the coin isn't written on it doesn't say like this is a drachm piece worth two drachmae or this number of grams. It's You just know it from the weight of it, the size of it um, and the material that it's used.
0: I suppose that's good if you're illiterate.
3: Yes, absolutely. Um, and there's pictures on them as well. So I can talk more about the pictures in a bit, maybe. But you'd the different Greek city states would have different coins and the coins have symbols of the city. So there's a very famous Athenian one that has um athena as you'd expect and an owl who's athena's symbol so yeah they're really cool i think they 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 look lovely the coins they're quite sort of they were um hand stamped there's no like mass production well they would have been produced in massive quantities but they're, they're sort of stamped um with like a you, you know the the imprint would be on a piece of i think iron maybe and then that gets stamped into the coin um, so they're slightly kind of uneven but they're lovely little things
0: so nowadays, when I think of coins, and certainly, actually, I've seen sort of archaeological finds where this is the case as well. But I think of coins as having on, on the obverse a, a silhouetted figure of like a reigning monarch. That's certainly true of um, our coins. Uh, is, that, is that not what's happening in ancient Greece? Because you said that there's like symbols of, of cities and there's an owl. And I think that's actually kind of quite a bit cuter.
3: Yeah, I think I prefer it as well. And they would all be really different. So like in Rhodes, for example, everyone familiar with roads, you'd have a rose because Rodon is the, the word for rose, like as in the flower nosos would have like a, a t- you could there are coins of the tiny little depiction of the labyrinth which is really cute like the famous um like the minotaur labyrinth story and like melos has an apple because it's melon which means apple in greek but some coins did have leaders on them so a bit later in greek history and kind of hellenistic period um so like after alexander the great you get kings on coins kings on coins Mm-mm-mm. So yeah, you do get that as well. But in in the classical period and archaic period, much more of these nice symbolic images. I also found some dolphin shaped coins. I mean, I didn't find them. I found them on the internet. I found someone else found them um, from what's now Ukraine, and there there were sort of a Greek colonies around that area on the Black Sea on the coast, and the Greek currencies would kind of mix with the local currencies, so you get um like funny shaped coins like these tiny little dolphins, which are so cute. Um,
0: that's cute as heck isn't it i would love to go and pay for my groceries with funky cute little shapes
3: i know three like oh how much is that it's three dolphins i'd pay that any day well maybe i wouldn't because i want to want to part with my little dolphins they're super cute
0: that is super cute and um you've said a lot of words i know that barney said shekel and what that that the origin of that word is do you have um etymology of your currencies in ancient greece Indeed. I've got a couple of good ones, actually. So the the silver coin
3: is the smallest silver coin is the obol. And an obolos is like a spit, like a nail. So spit in the sense of like a spit roast or whatever, not spitting on someone. Um, And six obols make a drachma. Um, so uh, the obols as in nails is we think that might be just like because very old units of currency could possibly literally just have been nails, these kind of little bits of metal. Um, and then six obols is a drachma and drachma comes from a verb meaning to hold. So it's like you're holding six obols in your hand and that's turned into a drachma so it's like however many nails you can hold there's six of them and it's, it's a drachma the obol obolos um which is a nail or a little spit like i said earlier has a really fun different etymology it's where we get obelisk um so obviously an obelisk is in the shape of, of that, that shape like a nail but weirdly you'd imagine like okay but it's a massive version of that obelisk comes it's like obeliskos which is the diminutive so obelisk actually means little nail which i think is so weird because it's way bigger
2: Maybe it's like a joke that they're like, is so funny because it's so big. So we're going to call it a little one. Little nail.
3: Yeah, maybe. It's cool. Or I think it might also just be like a sort of, it initially meant little nail. And then it just became like an adjective relating to nails. So like nail shaped, um, but using the diminutive. So cute. I love it.
0: Or it might be a rapper name, like Lil Nail. uh, And then it was a monument to that rapper. Can I move to Xenia now and talk about Roman coins in particular? Yes. So Roman coins went through an
2: evolution from the beginning. They were mostly made of bronze and over over the period of like a couple of hundred years, they kind of stabilized into these uh, very clear four different types of coins. And I'll go from highest value to lowest value. Highest value is one alreus and that comes, that's like, like in our chemistry episode, we were talking about AU meaning gold. So that literally means like one gold coin. That was the most precious coin made of gold. It was really big. And that was equivalent to 25 denarii, which had a certain um, amount of silver in them. Going to come on to the silver a bit more later. And one denarius was worth four sestertii, even smaller. And then one sestertius was worth four asses, And those were made of like bronzy, coppery alloys. So the, the aureus was mostly gold. The denarius was mostly silver. And the rest of them had sort of varying quantities of silver or bronze in them. And that was how they were differentiated. But over time, that the the silver value of the denarius was reduced and reduced and reduced and reduced. <laughs> which led to inflation massive inflation 25% in the late 3rd century so if we think it's it's bad in the UK with inflation like you you just do not even want to imagine what it was like for the romans in the late 3rd century so the end of the 3rd century was a was a really terrible time in the roman empire not just because of this horrible inflation um, but also because you'd had a series of very, very short-term emperors mostly drawn from the military. Um, so it was politically unstable as well as financially unstable. You've got also like military instability, you've got some incursions happening that the Roman army isn't organized enough to be able to um, uh, repel effectively. you've also got plagues, you've also got natural disasters. so that everyone's having a really bad time. Diocletian comes in, he's like, okay, I've had enough of these military emperors. We're going to have four emperors. So he's, he, sometimes this is referred to as the era of the Tetrarchy. And it's like two senior and two junior emperors. And they split the empire into four different zones so that they can be governed more effectively. That's the idea anyway. And then he, he works really, really hard. He stabilizes the economy. He introduces loads of reforms And when he's had enough, he's like, thanks very much, guys. I'm going to go and be a farmer now. I want to grow my cabbages. That's what I've been looking forward to my entire life. I'm just going to retire from (laughs) being an emperor now. Isn't that lovely? It is sweet. Um, The trouble is, everything collapsed again after Diocletian. So, like, it didn't work. He tried really hard, but it didn't work. It doesn't matter.
0: He's a cabbage farmer now, so he's all right. (laughs) And... I'm going to ask you what I asked Meg. Are there faces on coins of of emperors and rulers or was it something a little bit more funky fresh?
2: Yes, there are. Um, And they had this kind of divine quality. So often there would be like an emperor one side and then a goddess or some sort of other, or a god or some sort of representation on the other. And what you get is quite a lot of messages being communicated through um, whose face it was, how they were represented and who was on the other side of the coin from the face and that could be talking about i don't know like a recent conquest that a roman emperor had done or a recent policy that they'd introduced so like imagine if i don't know the government passed a new law there was a good one recently on like a flexible working bill imagine if the if the mint now produced a coin to celebrate the flexible working bill that's what like the romans would have done been like we're really proud of this law it's gonna go on our coins and now everyone can know what a great law we did
0: well, I was gonna say it's very self-congratulatory isn't it it's just like you can you can definitely imagine that uh when when gay marriage became legal it would be in it would there would be a rainbow on it and they go you're welcome yeah. you're welcome gays <laughs> exactly
3: we do sort of do that don't we but just not with normal coins we do it with like the commemorative
0: you know, you uh, yeah. get the coin
3: with, like, Paddington
0: Bear or whatever. Beatrix Potter. Right?
3: Yeah, exactly. On that note of, like, the sort of changing coins to reflect um, new laws or political circumstances, there's a place called um, Igina or Aegina and they were a massive, like, sort of sea power, really, really powerful navy, um, and they had these little turtles on their coins. Like I was saying, like, each of the city-states would have different... Uh, sort of symbols on the coins and they had a turtle. But then once Athens started to become much more of a powerful naval force and kind of took over Aegina, they changed the turtle to a tortoise to be like, well, we're no longer this like seafaring power. Um, So they changed their coins to reflect that, which I think is cool. (gasps) That's so
2: cool. That's rude and sad. Turtles are... I mean, I love tortoises, but turtles are also great. And it's like, no, they've like, they've
3: grounded the turtle. Literally. Again, like, imagine if we did that. If we like, yeah, had new coins. If like, I don't know, if we ever get a Labour government, we'd be like...
2: (laughs) Be roses
0: from Rhodes.
3: Like Rhodes. Yeah, lovely.
0: Well, we can hope. So... If I wanted to go on holly bobs, uh, vacay uh, or any other irritating word for uh, holiday um, to somewhere that had something like funky coins of turtles or tortoises or dolphins. Nowadays, I can just go to a travel exchange and swap my pounds for euros. Uh, But what happens if I am in the ancient world and I need to go somewhere and do some trade with uh, my neighbours? What happens if they've got different coins i'm going to start with you barney what happens back in the ancient near east
1: well obviously no coins means no problem right uh you know mm-hmm. they, they say more money more problems but in this case no money no problems um Ooh, because that's good <laughs> <laughs> um because you you would just be exchanging um exchanging the goods anyway but yeah um international trade is a Big part of the movement of goods and commodities around around the ancient world, um, and one of the best examples of this that I'm sure I've mentioned before in the podcast. I can't quite remember the last time it came up. Um, is this Amarna trading period? Um, it's called Amarna after the city in Egypt where um, almost 400 of these tablets were discovered, which uh, document letters that were being sent from the Pharaoh of Egypt to the kings of Babylon and uh, Assyria and smaller States uh, in Anatolia and even Cyprus, and these guys uh, all saw each other as a bit of a, a big club of great rulers, and they would often exchange luxury gifts between each other. Um, so you know, Pharaoh in Egypt wouldn't necessarily need to have uh, some sort of Babylonian shekels in order to, in order to get you know a nice chariot sent to him or something like that, because he could offer something in return, um, which was almost always gold everybody would pester um, the pharaoh of egypt for gold and uh, because there's so much of it in egypt you know i mentioned earlier that um that gold was more valuable than silver in mesopotamia it's completely the other way around in egypt oh wow yeah yeah there's so much gold there that um silver was at times worth maybe up to like 50 times <gasps> how much gold was really there's a, there's a lot of gold in <laughs> egypt
0: it's that's just a scarcity thing where gold is harder to get elsewhere and in egypt they're just like oh just dug a pit in the back garden there's more gold yuck
1: honestly it's funny that you phrase it like that because one of these amana letters says it's i think uh, one of yeah one of the kings in the near east saying gold is like dirt in your country please send it to me (laughs)
0: send me your dirt babes
1: Send me your dirt. <laughs>
0: That's amazing.
1: Um, he wants. I think this this particular king wants gold to build a palace, and he's he's pleading with the pharaoh. Um, but yeah, pharaoh often finds them. They, the pharaoh often finds themselves in a very strong bargaining position, um, and they even end up swindling some of the correspondence as well.
0: Oh, ouch!
1: Yeah, one of the other kings complains, and he said, "I requested that you sent me gold statues, and uh, when we melted them down, we found that they were only gold-plated wooden statues, not solid gold."
0: Oof, that's going to hurt. I, I was wondering about the swindling thing. If people, mostly I'm thinking about uh, rich people and pharaohs and leaders, whether they pre-agreed what they were going to swap. It sounds like in this circumstance that they did pre-agree what they were going to swap. Or if they just said, well, you know, we just gifted him eight camels and he's just given me a like a topaz inlaid uh, lapis lazuli hippo and I'm a little bit upset.
1: Yep, that definitely happens as well. Um, there's a lot of complaints between the kings that the that the gifts that are being sent aren't really um, equivalent, um, and these these don't always stick to our kind of model of what commodities are. Sometimes it's it's um, it's princes or princesses who are being sent as well. Um, So, yeah, whilst the letters are all couched in in these fairly polite terms and and they talk a lot about brotherly love between all these different international kings, what is fundamentally going on is, you know, a lot of... Politics. It's just trade. Yeah, Yeah, trade and politics, yeah. Um, And that's not to say this is the only way goods would be exchanged because obviously, like, lower-level trade in more informal trade is happening constantly anyway. That's, you know, it's always been how goods have moved between different regions of the world. Uh, But this is just one of the more, like, formalized and uh, visible... Um, versions of international trade we can see in the ancient Near East.
0: It'd be really hard not to feel, like, pretty snubbed if you're like, I gave him my daughter and he's uh, given me five goats. Is that what he... Is That is that equivalent? Is that what he thinks of her? Right. <sighs> cool. That's fine. Not her. I'm okay. Gutting for the daughter. <laughs> Absolutely gutting. Absolutely gutting. Should have won a uh, Invisalign when she was a teenager, just saying. Right. So that's my that's my holiday to the engineering sorted. I've got to get some good stuff, uh, maybe some gold uh, if I'm trading with anywhere except Egypt. Right. Meg, I'm going to ancient Greece and uh, I want to I want to trade my money around. I'm not from ancient Greece. What do I do? What happens?
3: Well, first of all, you can be from ancient Greece and still need to trade your money because they all have different monies, different coins. And that sort of famously was a bit tricky, that the Athenian coins were different from, like I was saying earlier, the Rhodes coins, and they would have different weights. And there was some sort of standardisation at certain points, but you would have to um, exchange money if it didn't match up. But yes, especially if you were coming from someone which used a completely different currency. So there were money changes, like in the the story about Jesus and they could charge quite a high rate there. They've got a really cool name in ancient Greek. They're called Argura Moy Boy, which I think makes them sound like a kind of cool gang, the Argura Moy Boys. But yeah, they apparently weren't very, <laughs> weren't very nice. They, <laughs> the Moy Boys. Um, they could charge kind of an unfair amount, or you know, there were there were apparently some sort of controversies about that but yeah it would have been difficult i think it would have been quite hard to know what was exactly right especially because like i was saying earlier the coins don't have the value written on them so they would have to weigh them to work out how much they're worth and also whether they're sort of genuine like almost like what barney was saying about the gold painted statues or whatever
0: that yeah it might it might be kind of counterfeit coins i find that really interesting because nowadays there's sometimes issues um where shops won't accept scottish tender even though it's ostensibly Mm -hmm. the exact same thing and you're within the same group of currency like you were saying within ancient greece you might you you could still be in ancient greece and have different money to someone else but um scottish money is the exact same as english money it's just got funkier designs on it
3: Mm. yeah that's actually a really good comparison it's very much like that
0: okay so things slightly trickier in ancient greece i might get a side-eyed bombastic side-eye from a shopkeeper as he bites my coins and weighs them and judges me for having slightly different currency um i'm i think i might take my custom elsewhere and go to ancient rome Xenia, i don't i don't have local coins what, what what's up what do i do
2: that should be okay i mean there there were different uh, currencies flying around the roman empire it was very big after all and the romans didn't impose a single currency on the whole empire they said no euros for us thank you very much mm-hmm. um they had uh, so but the, the denarii, sesterti, aurei, etc, all of the ones that we've talked about earlier, standard Roman coinage, they were pretty ubiquitous. They've been found all over the Roman Empire. So they could be traded off against local currency, uh, probably in a similar system to what Meg was saying by sort of way, way offs or um, value exchanges. In fact, we know that the Greek island of Delos was like almost like a free trade center, Um, and people would go there I I don't think it has much in terms of like um, natural uh, resources so it kind of became this like rocky uh, I'm trying to think of an equivalent like Singapore or something this kind of tiny rocky um, center of commerce (laughs) Um, and so that that's where a lot of currency exchange would happen uh, as well as other forms of uh, trade.
0: Okay, so nowadays we've got a few choices of banks Uh, here in the UK. We can we can pick where we save our money or we keep our our income and choose what to do with it. In the ancient world, could I put my money in a bank? Is that was there such a thing as a bank? Could I and did I physically put my money in the bank and did they lock it up in a vault or was it just like a I have noted that you've given me 50 denarii? Nice one. And you can have 50 denarii at our other branch down the road. What's going on, Meg?
3: Ye oldie HSBC. Um, yeah, sort of. You, I think most Greeks with wealth store <laughs> their. Own Sorry,
0: wealth. Meg. HSAD and HSBC.
3: Oh yes, Flo. That was incredible. <laughs> oh my you. god, HSBC. I'm obsessed. Um, that can we keep that? In? That's that's one of my favourite things ever. Um, yeah, the 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 BC HSBC. Um, So, yeah, I think most ancient Greeks with wealth would keep that themselves. Um, You wouldn't, I don't think depositing was a sort of huge thing, but I think I think people probably did do it. Um, But you did have, I mean, temples acted as sort of banks um, would sort of have control over over money. Um, And there would be lenders, there were people who kind of worked as bankers, often in, so they would also be businessmen, so just people with lots of money, basically, who could give you money, lend you money. Um, So you could get loans uh, in ancient Greece, like merchants, emporoi, um, which is the word for merchants where we get emporium like a factory or a market in in greek and then through latin i think so that's where we get emporium but the Empori, the merchants would get loans to do like a sea voyage say that's kind of like getting a loan from your bank but you could get them from individuals who would then charge you an insanely high rate of interest um and apparently there were even some kind of insurance policies, but i couldn't find masses of info about that so yes banks in some senses um but not not the bc hsbc that we're imagining unfortunately
0: i quite like the concept that you might give a load of money to a temple and they'll be like thank you for your generous donation and then you might just feel a bit too awkward to go um um, actually I was kind of that that was I that was meant to go into my account never mind you're welcome (laughs) Uh, yeah
3: it's true and that could happen if if banks are mainly either businessmen or religious sites that could happen either way you could be like try and give someone um you know try and deposit your money in the bank and then they're like oh did you ask for 50 shields and you'd be like no what are you why are you sending me all these shields like lots of opportunities <laughs> for miscommunications I think
0: absolutely I think I'd just keep it in a, a sock under my bed actually probably not a sock yeah. because everyone wears sandals and I'd look really out of place if I had socks <laughs> very unfashionable true so if you've mentioned about lenders um I, I d- c- can't make rent that sucks. Can't make rent, uh, and I I need to take out a loan. Uh, is there is there anywhere in ancient history where I can I can find lenders other than ancient Greece? Basically,
2: everything that Meg said about ancient Greece also applies in uh, ancient Rome in terms of uh, I, but with a, like an added layer on top. So these um, uh, like businessmen that could lend you money they were included under... This was like the patronage system, basically. So, poorer people would all have a patron, and it's linking politics and business. (laughs) I'm sure someone can make a funny quip on that today. Um, But basically, the idea is that um, you would go to a patron who would, like, sort you out if you ever needed a loan or... um, or a bit of help with something or you know security even and in return you would vote for them for any local political positions so that's how patronage worked
0: ooh so it's got a sort of like a i'll, I'll give you money if you vote for me
2: yeah literally cash for votes um or or investment or whatever else yeah oh wow it was very very transparent like that <laughs>
0: <laughs> and legal presumably
2: uh oh yeah absolutely everyone this was this was just how society worked this
0: was just what everyone did yeah good grief uh Barney did you want to say something
1: um I was just gonna say that um I, I don't know so much about about money lenders actively but like um you could store there was a sort of a system of like proto banking where you could like leave your your goods or your money with somebody. Um, and they would they would keep it safe and return it to you and they were liable to to keep um yeah to to not, not let it get stolen and stuff like that. And there's laws in um, in the Hammurabi law code which which sort of attempt to regulate this, i.e. how much um how much you might pay to to leave your barley with someone, for example, um, like fees to the bank, as it were. Um, so again, there's, there's quite a lot of familiarity here. It's a bit. It seems a bit like that. Like there's this kind of quasi banking going on. Um, maybe maybe money lending is the oldest profession, not prostitution.
0: Perhaps
1: it does seem to be from very very early history. There seems to be lots of people leaving, you know, amounts of commodity with others and then uh, making money off that storage.
0: I find it quite sweet that you mentioned about the sort of like having barley left with someone because that does happen now. So farmers will. Uh, all go to one person who owns grain storage like a silo and they deposit some amount of tonnage and the next farmer will will deposit the next amount of tonnage and presuming it's all of a similar quality, if they want to then withdraw it from the grain bank, they can do so. But the grain bank owner is liable for any damages or any dampness that, that happens to the grain. So, you know, things haven't changed a huge amount.
1: Just to append what you were saying there, I mean, I think we're basically touching on a lot of what the David Graeber book about debt, which talks about sort of indebtedness being a pretty like natural thing that human communities perform amongst each other from the earliest history. Do you know more about it, Xenia?
2: Yeah, um, he so he's an anthropologist and he was looking at I suppose economics through the lens of anthropology. He talks about um, anthropological studies, particularly of. Societies in Africa that may have had these kind of debt systems that apply up to more recent times, so easier to analyse. You know, he was saying that that some of these communities they have this ongoing circle of debt, and that's what actually keeps these communities together. So, let's say a woman moves to the village, and the other women all come and give her very tiny gifts of food, like a bag of okra or or some eggs or some of that, and then the the kind of social uh, expectation is that this person once she's settled and received all of these gifts will continue this cycle by going around to each of the other women who've given her stuff uh, and give them in return either slightly less or slightly more than what she was given in the first place and that way they keep this kind of unofficial but very very conscious debt cycle going all around them and that's what keeps the community together because you can never leave because you're always slightly in debt to someone or someone is slightly in debt to you.
1: Nice, that was a great summary. That is a
0: good summary, so shout out. Super interesting. So to summarize, I could probably go on holiday to most places in the ancient world as long as I uh, knew how to change my money. So I might have to be careful from who I borrow money in case I have to vote for them in an election. Um, I, I've currently, I've borrowed some money off a, uh, a loved one of mine to buy my first car, uh, which is a Fiat Panda, isn't it? It's a blue one and she's called Gwendolyn and she's my favourite little thing that I've ever bought. Oh, gorgeous.
1: Funny that you mentioned Fiat there, Flo.
0: Yeah. Why? <laughs> did they have cars in the ancient 1880s? They
1: did. Yeah. Yeah. The um the pharaoh was requesting the finest whips to be sent from uh, <laughs> <laughs> manufacturing plants in in northern Europe somewhere. Um. No, they didn't. But um the distinction that we've been making today between like commodity money, you know, silver, barley, tin, whatever. Um, and the currencies that we have today is that today um, money is is a type of object called fiat money, which means uh, let it be in Latin. I think it's a Latin subjunctive. The idea being that, um, that you know, the piece of paper that says I have 20 pounds in my pocket is not worth 20 pounds. But it's, it's agreed tacitly that this has the value of 20 pounds or represents the value of 20 pounds. So, yeah. Let, let it be done, basically. So
0: I've got a let it be panda.
1: Let it be panda, exactly. Let there be panda.
0: I might rename her <laughs> Letitia uh, in honour of that fact. I really like that.
1: Let there be light in Genesis is lux fiat, isn't it, in Latin?
0: Indeed. Let there be money. Let there be money. So that is money. Uh, it it was very cash money of these guys to tell us all their uh, little facts about currency and monies uh, today. I'm going to start with you, Barney. What was your favourite thing that you've learnt today?
1: Uh, My favourite thing from today was um, Meg's explanation of the, uh, was it a city-state that changed its coinage from having turtles um, to tortoises on it when they transitioned from being um, more of a coastal place to a a terrestrial place. I like that very much.
0: I did. I like that one as well. Um, And I particularly love the concept of dolphin coins. Just any kind of like slightly aquatic animal as a coin is quite cute.
3: Oh, dolphin coins was going to be mine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) right well meg i'm gonna go over to you next what was your favorite thing that you learnt today
3: um i think my favorite thing was a slightly like abstract favorite thing but i did i really liked barney's description of how like how to how you buy goods and services in a pre-monetary um place i thought that was so interesting and it made me think about things that i haven't really thought about before about how we just accept that money is completely normal and it's everywhere and imagining a world where that works very differently is super interesting
0: yeah, I think it is interesting. It, it Certainly, it goes against what I have thought of as uh, money and currency. So, anyway I'm going to go over to you. What was your favourite thing from today?
2: Okay, my second favourite thing after Dolphin Coins <laughs> was um, the idea of temple banks and, like, depositing your money there and then and then being like, oh, um, no, I don't want shields. I wanted my money. What if you don't want my money? <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, I think that's quite fun. Can you imagine if you went to Lloyd's and they went, yep, uh, that that £2,000 that you had from your income, I've converted into an Amazon voucher for you. No, no worries about it. You're welcome. If you've enjoyed today's episode, you can support us. Unlike some of these unreliable ancient banks, we accept any and all deposits to the bank of the Patreon and we'll exchange your coins for goods such as against-the-law merchandise. You can find us on Twitter at Against Law or on TikTok at Against The Law Podcast. And as ever, we're always happy to hear your suggestions for topics or questions for us. Send us a message and we'll see you next time at Against The Law.